0: Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Prep Your Standard NATO. Today I'm here with Julianne from, from the old Courthouse Law Museum here in Perth. Thank you so much for letting me come down and visit you today. Well thank you very much for being part of this. It's amazing. So how long have you been with the Courthouse Museum?
1: I've just passed my first year anniversary. Oh, so lovely. yeah, so that was that was actually in the end of October, so I've been here a year.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Now I'm here today because you guys have this new exhibition, Lord to Waterpiece. Law to Waterpiece. Yes, That's it's a bit, a of, bit a of a. I know it is. It's a bit of, it is a bit
1: of a mouthful, but it kind of succinctly sums up the exhibition in quite a beautiful way. So, when I first came on board just over a year ago, I discovered a photograph in our collection that hmm. was taken in 1913 and it featured a very handsome and eclectic bunch of lawyers (laughs) taken in 1913 we're not quite sure sure where it's taken that in itself is a bit of a mystery but we suspect that it was one of the studios photographic studios perhaps here Mm -hmm. on barrack street or the terrace so nearby and i was i was immediately fascinated by the, the photograph because it's a really really clear Clear portrait of these gentlemen. It's quite quite detailed and it's really quite high quality for the time. So I thought, oh, I must do something with that photograph one day, and I sort of put it to the back of my mind. Mm. But having said that, I think it also at the time I obviously had registered that uh, 2018 was the hundredth anniversary of the end of World War One, yep. and it would be pretty amazing to do something with that photograph. And then the Department of Veteran Affairs had their, their funding for armistice commemorations and, and programs for 2018. So I decided that that was my opportunity to get some funding mm-hmm. and hopefully develop an exhibition around that photograph. So that's what we did. And I don't know, I guess it started really, really broadly. Like it was just an idea of trying to research the lives of those that were in the photo and find out really who they were. Mm. So I did have, I did have some names and first initials, Mm. but that was really, really hard because you'd have, you have Smiths in the photo and you have Martins in the photo.
0: John James James lived in Perth. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it sort of became a bit of a mission and a bit of a treasure hunt, I guess, to dig out the identities of these, of these guys and then to work out, to work out their stories. And, the Department of Veteran Affairs obviously had their outcomes in mind and what they wanted uh, their money to be used for, and it was to really tell the stories of the people in the photograph beyond war. So Hmm. war was definitely part of it, their life um, before, during, but after, so their contributions that they made to society. So that formed the basis of it. So when you... When you kind of break that down and you realise there's 30 plus men in the photo, you realise you've got a lot of work ahead of you to, <laughs> yes. to work out <laughs> to work out their lives. So I just started researching bit by bit, contacted law firms within Perth because a lot of these gentlemen went on to set up law firms. Some of them were practising lawyers before they went. Some of them were still young gentlemen who were articled clerks. Mm-hmm. So that photograph was taken before UWA Law School. Came into existence. UWA Law School didn't come into existence until the late 1920s, so okay. it was kind of the normal path back then for gentlemen to become an articled clerk in a in a firm, mm. and they would learn by five years of hard work how to become a lawyer. Some were educated in Adelaide and other universities that did have a law faculty, but that was sort of the general gist. So. I spent a bit of time contacting law firms. Max Cott is one of the gentlemen in the photograph and he was the founding partner of Cott Gunning who also sponsored events that we had here based on the photograph that we had on the Heritage Perth Open Weekend. And I don't know, it sort of just became this big labour of love (laughs) of trying to research all of these people. And I had enormous help from... From family members, but also just strangers, like you'd put a call out on Facebook and hmm. someone would say, "Oh, I can help you with that i've got some information on that person, and then that'd lead you to Trove and then Trove would lead you to somewhere else, and you were constantly just going backwards and forwards so traced all of their lives and managed then to put it together in the in the exhibition and and tell the stories of all of them so in the photograph there's probably th- just over th- i think there's about thirty one or thirty two gentlemen. A lot of them were too old and couldn't serve. Mm -hmm. They were already well into their 50s and 60s when that photograph was taken. There was quite a few that tried to enlist and were refused on medical grounds, which I found quite fascinating because some of the reasons, you know, that they were flat-footed or they had an insufficient chest measurement sound kind of ludicrous, but it was the way it was back then. And a couple of them really did try to re-enlist or enlist several times and couldn't. So they were constantly knocked back, which as we know, when the war went on, it became a bit less picky on who you took, but yeah. th- these, these guys still still didn't make the grade, so to speak, and um, I did speak to family members about that, like descendants, and, you know, their disappointment at not being able to go, and then probably out of the remaining, there was pr- about 12 mm-hmm. that served. Three didn't come home. Um, you're not supposed to really have favourites, but I think I kind of did. Um <laughs> I think I I did the more that you kind of researched particular stories. So, as I said before, I think they were such high achievers. They were all academically very gifted and Mm. attended elite schools here, Hale, Scotch, Perth Boys School, and a lot of them were ducks and heads of this and heads of that and, you know, state rowers and football players. And then (laughs) – so that photo's taken in 1913 and three years later, four years later, three of them are dead. yeah. So it's a really sobering kind of wake up call. Killed at Pozieres and Bull Court, so most people know that they were bloody awful battles and a yeah. n an, an, an enormous cost of life. And the other gentleman was a was in the air force and he was killed in a flying accident. So yeah, it's it's quite it's it's quite devastating when you when you look at it in that context, I think, when you see these twenty year olds going off and they're got the world at their feet and then that's what's kind of snaffled from them we've been really really lucky we've got the wartime diary of Gerald McKenna Mm -hmm. one of the gentlemen that was lucky enough to return but like so many came back very very damaged and um, had a led a relatively long life afterwards but was always ill yeah he had war wounds that kind of never healed. He had almost finished his law studies but never quite got there and then when he came back he he couldn't complete them. Mm-hmm. His diary is amazing. It's a fascinating read which you can read it if you visit the exhibition because we've had it digitised and put onto our touch screen. Um, and his family have been an amazing source of information. He was actually at the... was He was in Armien just before the armistice when a great speech was given by one of the... One of the priests there at the time, Mm -hmm. and that's all documented. So that's quite remarkable. That features in a lot of books as well. So to know that somebody was there, Neville Heenan is another one of the soldiers that was lucky enough to come back, and he won a military cross Mm. for his. He he was amazingly brave in what he did. So we've had his family come in and talk to us about that, and we've got newspaper articles about his military cross, Mm. uh, receival. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. It's probably lends itself to so much more, but you've got to kind of draw the line. Like, how long do you keep going Yeah, with researching and, and writing? But I guess the fact that we've been able to put the exhibition together with the help of family, with actual artefacts and items that have belonged to these people, mm. it really lends merit to it. It's very authentic. You know that you've, you've covered your bases, I guess, when you get help from family and researchers. So... It was amazing to put together. It's, it's amazing how long something like that can take.
0: How long did it take?
1: Well, from when I started, so I found the photograph literally when I started. I was working on it right up until we opened. Like, so we opened it on the on the Friday, pretty much a year <laughs> later. But in the last three or four months before opening it, I was working on it solidly along with other volunteers because, like I said, you just kept un- you'd turn over a page and you'd find something else, yep. or family members would suddenly see see something that I'd put out and would call you or you would think you'd got your facts right and you actually hadn't someone would ring and say oh or you'd send something off to a family member and they'd say oh yeah, well no yeah. that's not quite right so yeah I, I think pretty much a year yeah yeah
0: it's a long time
1: yeah a long time <laughs> but really really worth it we've had a lot of family members and descendants and relatives come through and as I said law firms mm-hmm. that have been involved or who have had people from that photograph set them up mm. come in and they've all uh, they've all expressed delight at how the stories have been told so I think that that's that's kind of nice when you know that impressed is not the right word but you've made you've made family members happy and you've and they're proud I guess.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you are telling their stories and you're, you're sharing those stories with a lot of people and you want to do that justice, not just for the people, but for the families as well.
1: Yeah, so true. And that was, I think that was the part too, when you didn't mind being corrected with yep. things. And I even said that on the day when we had the Heritage Open weekend, which was back at the end of October. And when we had... The exhibition opened for the first time and myself and Robert Mitchell, who's the curator at the Army Museum in Fremantle, who lent us a lot of things for this exhibition, we did a, we did a talk. And, you know, even that day I said to family members, if I've got something wrong or you know something else or there's something you want to add, mm-hmm. let us know because the story kind of doesn't ever stop you know if people are still bringing things to your attention. So and I've had people I've had people come through since then and say to me, oh, actually in an email only last week with one of the gentlemen and, and and a lady contacted me and she said, "Oh no, he was a lawyer but he didn't work in that firm." Mm-hmm. I, so I had the firm wrong or something along those lines and it's like, oh, "Okay, well great, so you go off and correct that." So, yeah, that's been really important to me. I don't mind getting it getting it wrong if if you know you're getting if you're getting the people to tell you the stories as how they should be and how they actually really happened.
0: And if a lot of the history is word of mouth and, you know, family uh, legends and that kind of stuff, it's not like you can just Google it. No, and
1: that's, and I think, you know, that's the, that was the thing as well because, like, even with Trove, like, you would find, you might find an article on something, like, it was easy, let's say, to find out when, They may have been studying or when they were admitted to law because that's documented. You can get that information. But then there'd be big chunks of their life missing. You know, it was like, well, what did they do for this period of time? And even like the – even Harry Collier Warren, that was the gentleman that was killed in the plane accident, I knew nothing really – I still don't know a lot about him. Mm. I know that because his war records digitised and I could find where he was born – and that he came from south australia and that he was here to study law because he had a family member mm-hmm. who was helping him but that's it i mean and he did die young but there was still so much, when i look at some of them that i've got pages of information i've got this mm. tiny little and even contacting schools that they went to the schools were, oh well we've got a little bit but we don't we don't know too much else so yeah i suspect that there's still mountains that could be that could be uncovered oh, but
0: more than likely but that's the fun, isn't it? Digging them out and dust yeah, them off.
1: And... Yeah, that's right. And I guess you know, just like you said before, just sort of making sure that you that you do that you do their stories justice. I mm-hmm. guess because yeah, that was I think one of the things that I was that I was not afraid. That's not right, but it was critical that I kind of got that right
0: mm-hmm.
1: because in a lot of instances, I guess well, you know, three of them gave the ultimate sacrifice. You don't want to be getting that wrong. So in the case of Lindsay Glowry, who was the one that was killed at Bull Court, his body was never recovered and Mm. his family spent – well, his dad spent the better part. There's letters documented into the early 1920s of his dad still trying to find out where his body was and Mm. still trying to recover his belongings. And then his dad – from what I can understand, must have passed away, and his mum took up the fight, and mm-hmm. then sort of spent the next ten years. So that that documentation goes through right until the late 1920s. Yeah, you just don't want to be getting that information wrong. You know, yeah. you need to know, you need to know that you're telling that story accurately, I guess.
0: So I had a quick look at the exhibition, and it, it does look amazing. And you're right, adding those artifacts from the actual soldiers, it really brings a new, it brings another element, really cements it that this did happen, these aren't just stories on a page.
1: That's so true, so true. That's why we're so lucky to have the diary, like I mentioned, from Jared McKenna, plus other photographs from him. We've got a set of medals, plus the artefacts and items that we've borrowed from the Army Museum in Fremantle to try and bring it all, tell it together. So we've got some light horse boots and... We had the there's a Durack in the photo show from mm. the famous Durack family. So John Peter Durack, and he was in the Light Horse. So we've got you know a uniform and boots and things. So just trying to I guess to make those tangible links as well, and like a visual thing. So children, I guess, mm. and even not even just children, some adults that don't uh, that, that don't know. We've been lent some amazing trench art that was engraved. In the hell of the Somme, someone managed to create these beautiful pieces of artwork on shell casings, and you think, How did you manage to do that with a pen knife or whatever you've etched it with? Mm. So yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of layering, I guess, in the stories, and we've got letters as well. Christopher Ewing was one of one of the lawyers in the photo who was at the Gallipoli Landings, mm-hmm. and we've got his letters home. He actually led an amazingly colourful life after the war. He decided to try and go and make his fortune gambling in Monte Carlo. As you do. As you do. And um, (laughs) didn't go so well for him, apparently, and he did come home quite broke. Yeah, and they they did. They all went on to really carve out the best that they could, given what they'd been through. Mm. So there's, you know, politicians in there, leading educators, public figures. So there's two McDonald's in the photo and... Robert Ross MacDonald was knighted and set up the National Trust... Crikey. Max Cott set up the Swan River Trust and was really heavily entrenched in all things conservation back mm. before conservation was the thing back mm. in the probably the 40s and the 50s. And a lot of them did go on to lead really long lives, like living into the 1970s mm. in some instances, and practicing law in some instances, instances well until their 80s. So there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of interesting stories to tell, and there's there's plenty for people to read and sink their teeth into if they. They want to come in and visit and have a look
0: so when can people come visit then?
1: okay so the old courthouse law museum is a little hidden gem actually so our museum's housed in the oldest building in the city of perth mm. so it was built in 1836 fourth oldest building left standing in western australia so it's pretty it's pretty remarkable just for that and we've obviously got other other exhibitions and other things on display but we're open from tuesday to friday from 10 to 4 entries free and we're located in the Stirling Gardens near the Supreme Court. So you can enter really off Barrack Street and we're tucked away in the corner. But you can see us, we're a nice, beautiful old cream courthouse.
0: Yeah, it is a beautiful old building and a lot of the interior here is still quite original.
1: Yes, yeah. The, basically what you see in here where we're sitting now, which people can only imagine unless they come and visit, <laughs> is pretty much original condition the floorboards aren't but we're sitting in the original position where we were all those years ago so we haven't moved at all have got the original bar table here dating back to the 1850s and yeah it is a lot of it's uh, is pretty untouched so the museum itself which is in the back part of the building was completely redesigned in three phases which finished last year so we sort of cover everything from colonisation to the present day in terms of the law in Western Australia and being the oldest building in the city of Perth back then it was really the only building too so it served mm. as a church and a schoolhouse and a meeting place they had concerts and apparently piano recitals and dances and all things here so it's got a really really varied and diverse history.
0: There you go so it's not just law history it's the history of Perth. So if you love history, which I know a lot of people listening to this do. Yes. They're involved in with it themselves. Guys, come up, have a look at the exhibition, come see the Law Museum. As I said, I'm here
1: I'm here Monday through Thursday and Sula, our other curators, here on Friday. And there's we've got a lovely bunch of volunteers too that help in here. So there's always someone around to ask questions if anybody's got any. And yeah, we'd love to have you and welcome you to the museum. Great.
0: Thank you very much for speaking with me. Thank you very much for having me. this podcast was edited published and produced by the rslwa head to www.rslwa.org.au for other content make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook